I'm Samantha Olds Fry, CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, and this is Sam Says, a podcast series focused on Illinois Medicaid managed care. Hello, I'm Durandal Beverly with the Gemini Group, and welcome to Sam Says. On today's episode, we sit down with I'm Hip consultant Kareem Kenyatta to discuss this last legislative session. But first, let me welcome our host, the Sam in Sam Says, Samantha Olds Fry, CEO of I'm Hip. Sam, how are you today? I'm fabulous. How are you, Durandal? I am doing well. We're going to introduce our special guest who is, uh, you know, if you've been listening to Sam Says for a while, you will know this voice and this perspective very well. We'd like to welcome again, I'm Hip consultant Kareem Kenyatta back to Sam Says. Kareem, welcome to welcome back to Sam Says. How are you today? Good. How are you, Durando? Appreciate you having me on again. Well, we appreciate uh, you you joining us. This is always a, a favorite of mine. Listening to you and Sam talk about all things that are happening down in Springfield, and and you know we're excited to to dive into de- in today's into today's discussion rather on the latest Illinois legislative session. But before we do that, Kareem, let's start with you. Just kind of lay the foundation for our listeners. Uh, give us a sense of what, what was at stake, some of the big items that were happening. And then, uh, as I said, you and Sam will just kind of dive into it. But this kind of lay just a, a basic foundation for our listeners to start. Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest things that uh, people were interested about in the General Assembly this year was the whole redistricting process and also the budget and how things were going to come together with the dynamic of fairly new leadership in both the House and the Senate. I mean, although, you know, President Harmon has been around in his position, I should say, longer than Speaker Welch, she's still fairly new to being president. And obviously, you know, the governor um, has been around for a couple of years, but still the whole dynamic of the three working together from a leadership position, you know, there was a lot of questions about you know, how would something as important as redistricting and the budget work out? Um, And I'll leave it to Samantha to kind of highlight some of the bigger details of the budget. But, you know, the main thing was, you know, they did manage to come together and, you know, work on these key issues. Uh, You know, they didn't get everything done, but just from a progress perspective, you know, I think it's fair to say that um, they were at least able to sit down at a table and work out some pretty complicated issues. But yeah, I'll let Samantha go into the details on what we want to highlight in the budget because this is definitely a lot to cover. And I think though, Kareem, adding on to what you've outlined of just new players, right? Like, so we've got Speaker Welch, who has been in his role now for a handful of months. We've got President Harmon, who's been, like you said, a little bit longer. We also have Leader McConkie, new leader um, of Senate uh, Republican Caucus. And we have uh, Governor Pritzker, who, while this is absolutely his, was his third session, he's only had really one normal session. Um, his first year, which one could argue your first year is never all that normal. Then he had last session, which, you know, completely in the throes of a pandemic that we knew nothing about. And then this session, which was such an interesting dynamic with a long laundry list of everything that needed to be done. I mean, it's been a tumultuous time for the Illinois legislature and just sort of the, you know, how do we get things done in a state, um, in this state, while there's so much outside of everyone else's control sort of going on. And so 
I think that just cannot be underscored enough as we start sort of ticking off everything that was accomplished, everything that sort of, you know, we continue to plan on working on in the future is sort of this backdrop of change upon change upon change and what we're all having to navigate, whether it's from an advocacy pos uh, position, much like yourself and myself, in terms of just trying to advocate for a strong Medicaid program, or the legislators themselves, or the, you know, the administration. Um, everyone is sort of on not the steadiest of footing, because things haven't been quote unquote normal for a while now. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, you throw COVID in and everything else, the pandemic and dealing with that. I mean, the fact that they even tried to have a normal session, which we both know was far from normal um, in terms of passing bills through and trying to negotiate contentious bills over Zoom meetings. I mean, the whole dynamic was just completely odd. It, it was. And, and trying to find what worked and how do you get through complex components of legislation, whether it be the budget, whether it be the Medicaid omnibus bill, you know, other items that are still out there like energy. Um, it was really just uncharted territory for a myriad of reasons. Um, and so I think also it's like worth sort of noting and sort of pulling, you know, the the curtain back and saying, you know, for us as um, you know, advocates going down to Springfield, when we went down to Springfield, you know, we had to have regular COVID testing, it, you know, it just, it was not a normal process for those of us that could go down because they're fully vaccinated. But then also when you went down there, most of your meetings were still Zoom. And so you realized early on that being physically in the Capitol or in, in the city of Springfield didn't really change the virtual dynamic. Like you're still testifying virtually via Zoom. Um, you know, there's really, it was quite um, an experience. Yeah, especially when you're so used to gathering intelligence and information just by whether it's, you know, standing around on the, on, by the rail or just sitting in someone's office and hearing kind of updates and just the gathering of information even was completely different. And so I can imagine for the leaders and both from the Republican and Democratic side and communicating with members and everything else, it was, you know, it definitely was a challenging, but, you know, I, I do think going forward, this will show, you know, it just gives us a different dynamic as we start to go into the fall session and other, you know, the next session and, you know, just to, it'll be interesting to see how it all comes together. Absolutely. And so let's dive into sort of the meat of what was actually accomplished and sort of where things are. But before we do that, like let's level set for our listeners. Obviously, we're going to spend the most time on the Medicaid omnibus bill and the budget, but let's sort of just remind everybody about everything that this General Assembly tried to tackle in, you know, four or five months. So we had redistricting without census data. So completely uncharted. Um, always, I mean, it only happens once a decade, so it always is, um, it feels new every time. Uh, there are always new people who haven't gone through it before. It's it's critical in terms of, you know, how this impacts those individual legislators. So that was sort of looming over the entire session. Um, we had the budget. We had Medicaid omnibus. The um, other big pieces around healthcare that we had were, were telehealth. Um, 
and, and sort of codification of that coverage, uh, prior authorization reform, big item that again was sort of pushed from 2020 into 2021 because we couldn't tackle that last year. Um, then we had um, energy reform, we had ethics reform, we had elections, and I know I'm missing stuff, Kareem. Uh, we had uh, cannabis reform, the cannabis legalization bill, rec recreational bill has been out there for years and you know they've tried to fix it for years and so finally got a fix on that or a supposed fix we'll see if it works we'll see right and so all of those items i mean in a normal year you would probably you have the budget and then maybe you have two and then they did and they did gaming right well yeah gaming they try at least the house did and now it's stalled in the senate but yeah they did put together a gaming trailer bill, which as you know, that happens usually every 10 years or so, so. Right. Yeah. And so normally in a big year, you have the budget, you probably have something on Medicaid as we've come become accustomed to, and then maybe one other big package. Right. So the amount that was tackled this year, after we had the lame duck with all of the Black Caucus healthcare pillars, um, it is a lot. I mean, it just, it, there's no other way I cannot more eloquently say what it is. I mean, it's just, it was a lot for these legislators um, and for the administration and then for all of us. Absolutely. And then you add on top of that, the funding, the federal funding, you know, mm -hmm. with, and how they have to implement that into the BIMP and create new programs as a result of that. I mean, that's a whole nother angle that we're not used to either. Not at all. And for those of our listeners who don't know what BIMP is, we just throw it out there like it's, you know, common nomenclature, but it's the budget implementation bill. It's a bill that's passed every year. And some of it's super standard stuff, fund transfers, you know, just updating fund names. I mean, you know, very boring things. But inevitably, there are also critical pieces within the BIMP that are necessary to implement the budget as envisioned by the legislature. And so it's this big bill that happens every year. Um, sometimes it's completely non-controversial and sometimes we find um, little bits in there that um, are more controversial, if you will. And, and so let's dive in substantively what happened around healthcare and Medicaid. Uh, and then let's dive into the budget. Um, and wrap up and explain why we're all so tired still. <laughs> and, and I think what was, at least for me, Kareem, and you've been with us here for a few years, what was weird this year was how Medicaid really kind of took a back seat. And when you list off that laundry list, it's not all that surprising. Plus the fact that we've been doing Medicaid reform for year over year over year, this year, yes, there was a Medicaid omnibus bill. Yes, it has incredibly important things in it, but it was not as expansive or as involved as it's been years prior. Is that your take as well? Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, it's interesting. I wonder, do you think the healthcare, the pillar, the Black Caucus healthcare pillar, I wonder, you know, with that passing, and all the negotiations and energy that went into that, you know, it feels like maybe that, you know, yeah, because you're right. Normally in a normal session, your Medicaid is always a big deal. It's right up there as you talk about negotiating the budget. You know, everything that's happening with Medicaid is usually right there. And yeah, not that it wasn't this year, but there, it was different this session. It definitely didn't seem like it was 
1A as like it normally is. And I think Kareem, you hit on it, right? The nail on the head right there is unlike the other pillars, the healthcare pillar passed this spring rather than over the winter. And so we were still sort of tying ends up, um, you know, working with everybody and it passed, um, you know, February or March. And so that did take some effort and a lot of things that we wanted to get, you know, that I think that the, the Black Caucus wanted to get done, that, that advocates wanted to get done, was done um, a little earlier. And so then there were these remaining items we worked on in the omnibus. And I think that's a, a good call out um, because it happened early. I think we sort of forgot about it um, in terms of all that happened with regards to healthcare. I, on the omnibus bill, what I am most excited about is a real start of discussion around what the Medicaid program means for members and for the people we serve, the over 3 million people in Medicaid, and where are the gaps from a public policy perspective. So we did some exciting things that we haven't, you know, we haven't done in quite a few years, which is we increased rates in order to increase access for dental. And I think we still have more room to go on our dental rates. Um, We increased dental rates by $10 million, um, which sounds like so much um, in a regular sort of dollar amount. But when you realize that Medicaid's a third of the budget, we spend anywhere from 30 to $40 million a day on Medicaid, an increase of like $10 million for something as critical as dental. Um, Such an important step. I don't want but I don't think we're done. We got to keep sort of chipping away at that. And then also what I'm most excited about is our increase for vaccination rates, um, like the payment for the administration of vaccines, the Medicare rate. I think those are going to be the things that um, impact people uh, probably the most. And be, and why I think that is because I think what we saw in the rounder years when there wasn't a budget and there was all this mix up with vaccinations is pediatricians stopped vaccinating kids on Medicaid. They just, they stopped. They said, we'll send you, you know, to a public health department. We'll send you elsewhere. And that like that disconnect and like as a mom taking your kid to the doctor and then having to take them somewhere else, like just, you know, like there was a breakdown and that didn't happen. And so we saw a drop in our vaccination rates. And then now you couple on COVID where our vaccination rates have just plummeted. This step of really reimbursing providers to do vaccines for Medicaid kids in a a manner similar to other payers, I think we'll bring them back into the program, we'll make it easier for parents. And it's something that we all know is critical, right? Like getting children vaccinated is a is critical from a public health perspective um, for the whole population, but also for them individually and as a family. And so I think that's going to be huge um, going forward. And I'm really grateful for sort of the advocacy and inclusion of that um, within the omnibus, the Medicaid omnibus that passed this spring. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, you hear about vaccination issues like in other countries where, you know, there are certain, especially with COVID, there was definitely an impact with countries that didn't have access to other vaccinations and, you know, all the ill effects of COVID obviously just highlighted that even more. But when you think about Illinois, you know, you wouldn't think that there was a issue with vaccination at all with any population, but obviously there still is. So it's just interesting to hear that, you know, 
with that, you know, with funding, more funding, hopefully included and more direction for providers, you know, that can be addressed. But yeah, it, it is. It's something I think if you have commercial insurance um, and, and you have, you know, you you take for granted that your child can go to their doctor and easily, a easily get an appointment, b easily get the vaccine that they need, um, and that it, you know, that that, um, you know, it, it's just sort of a, a given in the Medicaid program. Um, you know, there we saw with policy changes, policy changes that were not enacted by the legislature, we saw a real drop off, and we're seeing the lasting effects of that. And then the second component is what we're dealing with from COVID, where parents just, I mean, it's bet we see it more with older kids, older kids, uh, you know adolescents above five-year-olds, they weren't going to school. And that's typically the catalyst to get, you know, get your well-child visit, get your vaccines, is that you're going to go to school in the fall. So you have to get all this. We have to send in paperwork to the school. That wasn't happening um, for, you know, they were all like a lot of kids were virtual. And so there wasn't that catalyst. You know, there's a lot of misinformation about, do I go to the doctor's office? Do I not go to the doctor's office? How do I get to the doctor's office? Do I have to take a bus? Well, I don't want to take a bus. And so all of this compounded and snowballed to see significant and, and really harmful drops in our vaccination rate. And so I think this, along with some things that we're going to do um, from a public policy and public health perspective, are really an attempt to sort of dig us out of the hole that's been um, created over the past, I would say it's got, definitely gotten worse over the past, you know, year and a half, but it, it wasn't, we weren't in a great place to begin with. Yeah. And I think it's great. Anytime you have something that people can, you know, you can actually see and touch. And to me, with all the funding coming in from the federal government and elsewhere, that's really going to be the measuring stick is how many programs are really actually changed and how does that impact, you know, communities? I mean, one thing that COVID obviously pointed out was the disparities in healthcare, you know, as you mentioned, from insured to folks on Medicaid. And, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see now that we've identified some of those discrepancies, how do we correct those? And so it's good, at least on the vaccination front, that maybe, you know, we'll see some progress there. That's the hope. And I think, Kareem, you have such a great segue in all this federal money. And what does this mean? And let's talk about the budget. And oh my goodness, I don't know about you. I think this is the best state budget we've had in a decade, over a yeah. decade. Over a decade, I would say, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. even when Illinois did the, the tax increase um, in order to address all their backlog of bills, I mean, I, we had a tax increase, which you know is its own um, challenge and opportunity. But we had such a far way to dig and it was it wasn't this size. So we spent a lot of years just even after the tough vote of a tax increase, still digging ourselves out and still having to cut critical programs. And this year, you know, it looks like we're going to get rid of any short term debt. We had stable funding for programs. I mean, you know, we were able to make some one-time investments and it looks like, I mean, I like knock on wood a million times, but we're really in Illinois on a great track 
to see growth and investment in the next few years from our state budget? Do you, what's your take on that? Yeah, no, I know it's kind of amazing. You, as you, I can hear the hesitancy in your voice as you say all this stuff because it's hard to believe, which is true. And yeah, I, I do think that's going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch over the next few years to see what, if we can maintain this direction, but based off everything that you just mentioned and yeah, the fact that we're paying our bills on time and, you know, although this federal money, you know, the American Rescue Plan, even though it's kind of a one-time hit, you know, it's still that is enabled the state, I think, to creatively adjust some things so that, you know, they can at least start to address some of these things that it feels like have been lingering for years. Like you said, short-term debt and other things that have just, like you said, over the past decade, really just hung over our heads. So yeah, it is exciting, you know, and I do think, you know, with all this, you know, it's going to boil down to, you know, how is the money utilized? And, you know, there's a lot of talk about how do we engage providers and other folks that don't normally have access to these funds and, you know, just building a bridge there. So I think that's going to be the real key to watch is, does it help us, you know, effectively tackle some of the issues that we know are out there? And, you know, can we spread enough of this around so that we can start to really address some of the discrepancies in, you know, a number of different industries? And I am just nodding along, Kareem, like you are just you know, I am hesitant. I'm optimistic. I'm an optimistic person by nature. I just know, you know, we met about a year ago talking about what I thought the 2021 budget would look like. And I expected carnage. Um, I mean, just from the economic fallout um, that we saw that, you know, that we're climbing out of. Um, But really, I do think had the federal government not stepped up in the way that they did, this conversation would be really different because Illinois never really recovered from the Great Recession. And so it's been a very slow, very long recovery. And we're finally maybe at a point where we're going to get out of, you know, some of the trouble we've been in. And what I must say, and I just think this has not been talked about enough, but needs to be underscored. The reason we can have this conversation is the legislature really held the line on not putting the American recovery uh, funding into base spending. They made smart investments, but they did not use that money that was going on things. It's going to be a reoccurring cost unless it's going to be reoccurring for like one to two years while we have that funding. Um, and I think that was hard to do. I mean, there are a lot of people, I mean, a lot of advocates out there who said, we've got money, let's increase rates, like let's increase the base. Because we need to do that. Let's, I mean, there are areas where we need to increase the base. But the the budgeteers really stood firm and said no. And because of that, you and I can have this positive conversation as opposed to sort of looking at well, how do we fill this gap once once the American recovery money is gone? It's like, well, we, we, we made these investments that will actually hopefully add efficiency to the programs we're talking about. Um, and, you know, we don't have to come up with state dollars to replace the federal dollars when they, they are gone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and the fact that everyone is aware of that and people know that that's the direction the state is going in. 
I do think it puts us in a much better position to avoid, you know, two years or a year from now looking up and saying, oh, we're right back where we started. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, obviously the state, you know, I don't think anybody anticipated, you know, the revenues and everything staying the same and even better than expected in some cases, you know, so, yeah, it's just I never thought we'd be in this position at this point. So it's kind of shocking. But hopefully it's uh, it turns out to, you know, benefit everyone involved and, you know, we can stay on the right track from here. I, I'm nervous and hesitant, but I'm, I'm excited. I mean, for the first time in a long time, the, you know, let's put it from the Medicaid health plans. I mean, the Medicaid health plans are being paid on time. Um, a year ago, the plans were billions of dollars by the state. I mean, billions with a B months and months of liability. Um, you know, that's a big, um, you know, that's, that's huge to, to be able you know, and, you know, to be able to just be paid on time. And I think obviously that large, the payment on time matters for the plans. These are large plans, but it matters more for these small community-based providers and organizations that are, you know, contracted with like the Department of Health, you know, Human Services or the Department of Public Health. I mean, these were organizations that were going through not getting paid for months on end um, in the height of a pandemic. And now, I mean, as um, Comptroller Mendoza has come out and said, like, this is the best it's been during her tenure, you know, a 30 day payment cycle. I mean, that's normal. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, because of the pandemic and it feels like it's been 10 years that we've been going through it. But we forget that even prior to the Pritzker administration, there were times that we didn't have a budget at all. Some of these same providers, I'm sure, weren't getting paid. Well, you know, I know there are some folks that were at least able to get some funding, but I mean, the state went through a period without a budget and, you know, that obviously led to other issues as well. So to be here at this point, despite everything, I mean, you know, it says a lot about just how things can work out in a way that you don't necessarily see it happening. So, yeah. I'm so glad you highlighted that because I think that's where we have to pivot, right? Like, so this year was all about stabilizing, making key investments for things that we just knew were a big issue, um, things that COVID had highlighted, things like healthcare disparities, vaccination rates. But as we go forward, now that maybe we're finally on level foot, like level ground, how do we build back? How, you know, those providers that went without a budget for two years, a lot of them closed their doors, right? Like they're not there anymore. There's not something to invest in. We've got to, you know, build and transform from what we've got today. And so when I think going forward from the Medicaid budget, it's how do we do that? How do we um, make smart investments? How do we um, start to align financial incentives and quality outcomes for the provider community um, in the same way that's been done for the Medicaid health plans? Uh, and I think that's where we see next year the bulk of the discussion is, you know, we know we need long-term care nursing home rate reform. That's coming up. How do we tie that to quality and patient care? You know, we know we have hospital transformation coming up. How do we make sure that those that investment is to meet the needs of the community um, and that it's real and tangible? And how do we make sure that all of our payment structures going forward 
are supporting those smart investments and those smart projects and incentivizing other providers to continue down that road so that things are viable in the long run. I mean, what do you think? I mean, you've got a, a larger um, vantage point than I do, right? Like I'm solar fo- solo, like exclusively focused on Medicaid and healthcare and then the human services sort of sprinkled up. But you sort of look at the whole big picture. That's what I see coming from the Medicaid side. What do you see, you know, from the you know, sort of the bigger picture from the entire budget and, and both substantive policy work, but then also just budget. Is that sort of the same you're seeing? Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, you mentioned the energy bill earlier. And, um, you know, I think even going back to cannabis, too, I think the the thought is great. You know, we're in this position now, but what does that mean for, you know, the future of a lot of different organizations and industries in terms of you know, how do we take this and make smart decisions going forward? And does that mean we, you know, from both a fiscal perspective and from, you know, addressing, you know, the discrepancies that we know exist in various industries? Like, you know, for example, with the energy bill, you know, we often talk about bigger companies, bigger utility companies that, you know, have obviously dictated things for years. And now as we talk about developing different technologies like wind and solar, and even within that, you know, it's interesting to see what the caucus, you know, because back when I started on staff all the way back in 2004, you know, you didn't see the same discussions about, you know, when you create these new industries, what does it mean to be diverse? And, you know, you see the legislature now starting to ask questions about, okay, before we say we're going to, you know, transform into wind and solar, what does that mean for communities that have been basically, you know, left behind when it comes to energy policies and and things of that nature? So, you know, I think in same with cannabis and other industries, it's going to be, you know, how do we utilize this funding to make sure that programs are funded? And, you know, the last thing I'll mention is, you know, violence. I mean, in Chicago and across the state, obviously, especially in Chicago, you know, violence is a key factor. And, you know, part of the federal funds that went in are going in to address that. But it's interesting because you hear a lot of the same organizations, whether they're in East St. Louis or some of the smaller programs in the city of Chicago say, that's great that all this money is coming in, but is it, are we actually going to be able to utilize it and create programs that actually work? And so, I think that's going to be the big question is, okay, maybe Illinois, you finally got your act together, but what do you do with it? And, you know, what are, you know, where do we go next? Is it just, you know, more money that goes to the same parties and nothing changes? Or do we actually innovate something and create new change that, you know, people benefit from? And you have to be purposeful about it, right? Like the disparities that exist, they, I always say they didn't happen on accident. They were purposeful. They, there were policies in place that created the healthcare disparities and the community disparities that we see today, you know, through systematic racism and policies that that mirrored those, you know, beliefs or values, um, wrong, wrong, in my opinion, wrong beliefs and wrong values. But in order to build back from that, now that we sort of stopped the bleeding, we're on, on stable footing, you have to be really purposeful and you have to think, what does this mean? How do we diversify this industry? Um, I mean, and you even see, even when there's a lot of thought, I mean, like when we look at the cannabis discussion, there was a lot of thought and a lot of discussion around how do we bring in diversity 
And the first go at it didn't bring out, you know, the intended outcome. And so we had a second go at it. And so I think that also shows conversation and purpose and intent aren't always enough. I mean, and they're going to be iterations of these discussions to sort of figure out how does this work and how do we do it right? And I think, you know, so it's going to be a long, as optimistic as we are about stable footing, which is absolutely worthy of being celebrated. There is a long haul of of getting, and I keep thinking as we're having this discussion back to sort of, you know, President Biden's motto is sort of that building back better. It's going to take a bit. I mean, it's yep. this is not next year. We're going to have it all figured out. It's going to be a long conversation um, and a lot of conversations and a lot of tries um, until we get some of these things right. That's right. And we didn't get out, we didn't get into this overnight. So it's going to take a while for us to build ourselves out of it. And it's going to take everyone to sit down and collaborate together. Absolutely. You know, yeah. And so I think that's a, that's a, you know, like I said at the outset, I could just listen to you talk about this all day, but unfortunately we're going to have to cut it there and cream. I think that's a, that's a good point for us to, to end the conversation. Uh, as always, we, we appreciate you being here and being a part of the Sam Says conversation. Um, this and many other topics will continue to pop up and uh, would love to have you come back and continue the conversation with Sam, if you're willing. Oh, yeah, always, always a pleasure speaking with Sam, and I appreciate you having me on. All right, we appreciate you being here. Uh, before we close, again, we want to offer our special thanks to Kareem Kenyatta for taking some time to talk with us today. Sam, before we close it out, uh, based on that great conversation between the two of you, what are you looking forward to now? We have veto session coming up. There may be uh, some opportunity with some some lawmaker activity over the, over the summer. You know, what are you looking forward to now? Sleep and more <laughs> collaboration, right? I think what, what Kareem highlighted at the end is that what we do next, no individual party, no individual organization, no individual agency at the administrative level is going to be able to do it alone. We have stopped the bleeding, which is amazing, but to build to where we want to go, we're going to have to collaborate. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. And I'm looking forward to holistic discussions about here are the pieces. How do we move them to collectively to get to where we want to go? Mm, That's a great point. That's an absolutely great point. Um, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, I encourage you to visit the I'm Hip website at imhip.net to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other great podcasts like this one today. I also encourage you to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And if you're interested in becoming a trusted partner or joining us for a podcast episode, I encourage you to reach out to I'm Hip's Chief Operating Officer, Elena Kennedy, or visit the website at imhip.net. That's I-A-M-H-P dot net. On behalf of Sam and the team at I'm Hip and the Gemini Group, I'm DeRondel Beverly. Be well, stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon.